are evangelical. This means we believe in God's gospel. The word evangelical comes from the word evangel or good news, the gospel. We're not a political voting block or a demographic subgroup. This is actually a theological definition of who we are and what we believe. And its true meaning is really quite simple and explainable. We're about God's gospel. Romans 1.1, Paul writes to start the letter that probably explains God's gospel from A to Z most completely in all of Scripture. He writes at the beginning, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That's interesting that he says it that way. The gospel of God. It's a possessive nominative. It's his. It's not ours. This is not an earthly invention. This was all God's idea. He was the impulse of this good news. We didn't conjure it up to try and help ourselves feel better. And this is the difference between religion and what true faith is in what God says. In its simplest form, that is what evangelical means. A true faith in what God says and did and did in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is that good news. That Jesus, the one and only Son of God, came to this earth, became a man like you and I, lived, died, was resurrected, and ascended. And he did all of this as your substitute. Taking on voluntarily everything that you deserve in the wrath of God because of your sin. So that he could offer you forgiveness and eternal life with himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit plays a very important part in this gospel. God's gospel is applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I asked you last week... What would you do without that? John chapter 14 through 16 is Jesus preparing his disciples for this very reality. The what's next in God's gospel. It was accomplished and executed in the person of Jesus Christ. But it is applied through the work of the Holy Spirit. What would you do without the Spirit? What would you do without the Holy Spirit's coming and His care and His power and His indwelling and His work and His ways and His gifting and His guiding and His keeping and His guaranteeing you until the day when Jesus Christ returns? Yet much of us, many of us, don't know a lot about that. How much do you know about that? We as conservative evangelicals, many of us, have neglected this teaching of the Holy Spirit. And yet we want to get it right. Can we please get it right? And so if you'll pull out your insert, there's a lot of information there today because I couldn't expect that you would keep up with all I'm going to say to you. So I've given you a lot of it today. And right in there is our statement of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. God's gospel is applied by the power of the Holy Spirit, as I've said, and then that's expanded upon. We believe that the Holy Spirit in all that he does glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he convicts the world of its guilt, that he he regenerated sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. We believe that, but there's a lot there. How can we take what is so often mysterious and misunderstood about the Holy Spirit and render it clear, understandable, and applicable to our lives? So here is my attempt to do this throughout the summer. Going to the garden. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 begins by saying, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. We read that passage last week and noticed there were three obvious things that were taking place. There was sleeping going on, there was struggling going on, and then there was some yielding going on. And if we will grapple with all three of these, I think we can get this right. And so I've given you in your insert as well, these three major things breaking out what we're going to study throughout the summer. The problem with sleeping, in that we're going to find the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can see the dates that we'll be looking at that. And then the power in the struggling, and in this power we're going to find fruit-bearing and gifting and changing of our lives. And then the promise in yielding, and there we're going to find the promise of the Holy Spirit regarding comfort and guidance and intercession, present unity and future certainty. So that's what the rest of the summer is about. But for these two weeks, last week and this week, I wanted us to learn from this particular setting of the garden as this metaphor, this example will uh, guide us for the rest of the summer. Last week, what it meant to be sleeping or struggling. Today, I want to show you the beauty and the power of this passage in Christ's yielding and how that shows so dramatically the change that is available to every single one of us. What happened in the life of Jesus Christ in the garden is beyond words of explanation, beyond what any of us would ever be able to endure as only human beings. He felt it in every way as a human being. Also because he was the Son of God, he faithfully, perfectly accomplished what the Lord wanted him to do in that garden and then beyond to the cross and the grave and the ascension and return to heaven. But just because he was God and he accomplished it perfectly does not mean, particularly when we're dealing with the reality of this garden, that that is not possible for us. On the contrary, I think this moving, powerful example of what Christ faced in that garden is given to us so that we can see that we can have the same kind of spirit filled response to the struggling, to the difficulty, to the life of hardship that we may lead. Now, you'll often hear me speak of the privilege we have living in the time and space that we're in right now. Um, So much of what we understand uh, is fully explained in Scripture. And uh, we, we... also complain about all the things we don't yet understand, and some things maybe we never will. But do you, under, do, you, do you realize that in time and space where we are right now, there's so much we do understand that saints prior to us never did understand. Um, we have a complete scripture, as opposed to uh, 
to even these disciples that didn't have the New Testament yet. And much explanation of what uh, happened, uh, even as they watched it, saw it, but didn't understand it. Um, even those that came, of course, prior to Christ. They exercised the same faith that we did, but it was faith in a promise. Scripture tells us that they longed to see what was promised and how this was going to be fulfilled. All they did was believe God and His promises. And Scripture says it was credited to them as righteousness. So the faith is the same and the result is the same, but the amount of evidence is not. And we are so privileged to have so much Scripture that explains the acts and the working of God. And so in this situation, we can even interpret what happens in this garden with Scripture that comes later. So even at the moment, even if these disciples weren't uh, sleeping, hadn't been sleeping, I don't think they would have understood. Later, however, we can look at passages of Scripture that would explain exactly what was happening in this garden. And Galatians chapter 5 would be an example of that. So if you'd like to turn there, I would like to, uh, to read that. Galatians chapter 5. And we read from verses 16 through 26. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do, you do, not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, well, that's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, if you look at that passage you'll find the very things that we were talking about last week. There's a struggle here, verses 16 to 18. These, this human nature is in struggle with your spiritual nature. They are in conflict with each other, verses 16 to 18 speak of. There's the struggle. And then in verse 19 to 21, it speaks of the normal and the natural, our tendencies, our justifications of last week. And though you may not read this list and say, oh yeah, I'm doing all of these things. Read all of them. Yeah, you're probably looking at orgies going, I haven't been there. Ever had a fit of rage? You don't succumb to road rage, do you? Oh yeah. Isn't that interesting? Even jealousy, dissension, you see, these are the natural things and the tendencies that we have. And there we have the natural and the humanly normal. 
But then, verses 22 and 23, this is what happens when we yield to the person of the Holy Spirit. And these fruits become a natural product of what the Spirit is doing in life, in our lives. There is fruit, a sequential product of what has happened already. He is the focus and the impetus, and this is what is produced by His work. And we can see this lived out in Jesus in the garden. So go back to Matthew 26 and allow me now to read verses 47 through 56. And I'd like to show you coming out of this passage the fruit of the Spirit coming out of Jesus in His response to these circumstances. Beginning in Matthew 26, verse 47, while He was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen in this way. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place with the writings of the prophet, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, I would like to take three glimpses at this passage and actually some verses beyond that I'm not going to take time to read this morning and show you what yielding looks like. Again, so that you can demonstrate it in your life as well. This can happen. Not because you try harder, but because you yield more. Because you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life that in such a way that He begins to produce fruit that supernaturally becomes a product of your everyday living. Now, let me show you, I think, three ways that this is very, very evident in this passage and the implications for us. What yielding looks like. First of all, as you can see, I say that evident fruit is one of the things that we see. And this is possible. All of these fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where are they? Well, first of all, love. I think that's in verse 64. There Caiaphas, the high priest, looks at him and says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell me if you are the Messiah or not. And he answers, the most loving way he possibly could. It is as you say. I am. That was the most loving thing he could do. Was tell that man. One last time. You got one more chance. 
with all the authority that I can communicate to you with? Yes, I am that man. Most loving thing he could do. Hoping that he would change, or if he didn't, letting him know beyond the shadow of, the, of a doubt who he was and who he was about to condemn. Love is demonstrated. Joy, in the same verse, he goes on to say, and not just that, but in the future, oh, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And that's looking beyond the current circumstances to what is promised, to what is so much greater than the horribleness of this moment. There's actual joy here. And these disciples would be able to, and those that were converted, would be able to look back on this and say, how horrible that was, but look at what he was looking beyond to. All that was coming. The joy. Patience. Of course, we see that when he comes back the third time, having uh, asked these disciples to pray for him, and he finds them sleeping. And NIV asks the question, you know, are you still sleeping? Probably more accurately, as I mentioned last week, is what the King James does with it and in saying, it's okay, it's too late now. You might as well rest, because you're in for a tough day. What patience. He's no longer ag- agitated with them. He's incredibly patient with them. How about kindness? That's in verse 50. His betrayer arrives, walks up to him and says, this is him, and Jesus looks at him and says, what? Friend. Wow. Was that kind or what? Would you call a betrayer a friend? Would that be the first word to come out of your mouth? Friend. That's kind. That's very kind. Michael Card writes a song about this and he says, that's not what a kiss is for. Do you know that song? Yeah, that's not what a kiss is for. And yet, Jesus calls him friend. That's kind. Goodness. Goodness is obvious when Peter takes the sword and cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus says, put the sword back. Let's not, I mean, the Lord says, put the sword back. Let's not make the situation any worse than it is. That's goodness. Then there's faithfulness. He takes the moment to teach. Oh, by the way, let's learn from this. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He's faithful all the way through. I'll even take this moment and I'll teach you. That's not how you respond. What faithfulness. Gentleness. There we find it when he says to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion? Obviously they're afraid. They have to have a whole horde of people. Otherwise they think they won't be able to get him. He's not trying to be intimidated. Or intimidating, I'm sorry. He's gentle. And he responds to them in that way. And then, of course, we see self-control. He did speak to Caiaphas and answered his question, when under oath, tell me who you are. He wanted to give him the truth in a loving way. But he did not answer when he was accused. When they brought these false witnesses before uh, the leaders, and they threw out all these things. He didn't say, no, 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 that's not true. Prove that. Have you got any proof for that? None of it. Self-control. He remained silent. He did not defend himself personally. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All exhibited just moments after he had been struggling in the garden with such anguish. It's, it's beyond our understanding. Yielding to his Father's will and the role of the Holy Spirit in his life, he now becomes the perfect example of the fruits of the Spirit exhibited in circumstances you will never be asked to face. Just to show us, we can do this too. This is what yielding looks like. This kind of living is actually possible. Not humanly, but supernaturally. Well, then I can't do it. No, that doesn't make make it impossible. It just doesn't make it individual. Do you hear me? Living a completely yielded life in the Holy Spirit and demonstrating supernaturally these fruits of the Spirit does not make it impossible. It just doesn't make it individual. You can't do this alone. You were never meant to. Jesus was never meant to. No one is. We are meant to resign ourselves to the indwelling Holy Spirit, to yield to Him and allow Him to work out of us things humanly we could never do on our own. You must depend on another. You must say no to yourself. You must say yes to Him. Now, we struggle with this so much that when it does happen... We don't believe it. And that's the second glimpse I want to take at this particular passage. The incredulous responses. That's the second thing that happens when people truly yield to the Holy Spirit. Those that are around them don't believe it. And look at the incredulous responses. These are anything but expected. In response to the love, yes, it is as you say, it's not accepted. He doesn't see that as an act of love towards him. Joy, in the future you'll see me coming. It's not understood. Peace, let us go now, he says to his disciples after all of this. I'm going to face it all. It wasn't theirs. They didn't have that peace. As soon as they saw the difficulty, they ran, terrified. Patience, you're still sleeping? Rest now? They're not aware, not even aware of what's going on. Kindness. Judas, my friend. That is not expected. I mean, Judas knows what he's doing. Can you imagine what must have ran through his mind when Jesus looked at him and said, Friend. Well, that wasn't what I expected. Couldn't have been. Goodness. Put the sword back. That's not normal. In fact, it's so not normal that the uh, Luke uh, records for us actually the healing of this ear miraculously at the moment. Again, not a normal thing. God shows His goodness and people look at that and go, well, that's not normal. Yeah, it's not. Faithfulness. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. It's not comprehended. At least not now. Well, it is later. 
gentleness. Am I leading a rebellion? It's not natural. Self-control. Jesus remains silent. It's not logical. These spirit-filled responses are not understood. They're anything but what is expected. Yet this is what yielding looks like. This kind of life is not acceptable to most, but it becomes powerful in God's hands. And that's the amazing part. Yeah, they didn't get it at the moment, but later they become convinced of it. Thousands give their lives to this same Christ because then they get it. Did you see how he responded? Did you see how he answered? Do you see how he didn't answer? Do you remember? This is powerful. So we, as an implication, shouldn't expect understanding, but we might expect eventual convincing. Keep it up. Don't force it on others. You serve a higher God, but watch His power work in others when you respond like you're supposed to through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. People become convinced of the reality and the genuineness of faith in Jesus Christ because they see it lived out in individuals who respond in ways they cannot believe. Yeah. It's a natural response to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's unexpected and they're incredulous. But eventually, they're convinced. Many are convinced. That's what yielding looks like. Finally, one more glimpse at this fruit. It's repeatable. And this is plausible. Because we don't see just Jesus Christ demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the garden, we later see these same weak, fledgling, fear-filled, cowardice disciples who ran from the scene, later, courageous, powerful, filled with the Holy Spirit, demonstrating these gifts, and through their lives, convincing many people because of their yielding to the Spirit's influence in their lives. What does that look like? What does it look like to, to repeat what Jesus did? Well, love loves anyway. Joy expects the promised, looks forward to the future, and endures the present because there's something greater coming. Peace approaches the inevitable with calm. You ever seen somebody like that? I've known people like that. Facing tremendous difficulty, but they have this amazing peace because their lives are yielded to this Spirit's influence. Patience tolerates the ignorance of those who don't get it yet. Just like they had received patience from Jesus when they hadn't understood yet. Kindness responds unexpectedly. Goodness acts incredibly. Faithfulness explains anyway. Gentleness disarms immediately. And self-control refuses to defend personally. This is repeatable. 
It's plausible. This is what yielding looks like. And Jesus didn't do this just for us. He means for it to be replicated in us and through us. This Spirit-filled life is convincing to others because it is conquering of us. Did you get that? This Spirit-filled life is convincing to others. And the Lord is affirming that. Because it is conquering of us. In this, we see the words of Paul when he cried out and said, Lord, I can't do it anymore. Take the thorn away. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient because my power is made perfect through weakness. My spirit can do amazing things. Things in and through you when you will yield to me, to his influence. So, there is a progression. Dependence, and this is the implication here. Dependence is the recognition. I need him. Submission is the response. You may have your way, and then obedience becomes the reality. Having trouble with obedience? Like last week, you've got to go back to these three steps and repeat the first two if you're not getting the third one. I want to obey more. Good. Recognize how desperately in need you stand before a holy God. Express your dependence upon Him and resign yourself that you don't just need some of God You need Him in every absolute sense. Dependence is the recognition. Submission, then, is the response. Not my will, but yours be done. And then, obedience becomes the reality. And we're going to talk more about what that means as we move forward. But I wanted you to see this morning that this yielding is real. And it can happen. And this spirit-filled response of fruit that goes beyond human understanding can become a supernatural reality worked through your life if you will allow the Holy Spirit to have His way. But in order to do that, we must recognize our dependence. And we must fully submit. And then He will begin to work through us in obedience beyond what we've done before. And progressively it grows and it grows and it grows. And our lives demonstrate more and more these supernatural fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that God would have us on a regular basis celebrate this table because He wants us to repeat and to remember These things. Perhaps this is the reason he's asked us to repeat this celebration regularly so that we will see what is repeatable. What Jesus did can be done. He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit in all of his humanity, not just because he was deity. 
We need to remember what is plausible. That means you can do this too. We'll never perfectly demonstrate the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but it's plausible that we can and we should. And we should practice what is proven to be possible. And again, we stand in a privileged time and space in, in, in history, in space and time, where we can even look back at saints like us, believers that have done this. It's been proven to be possible. Do you see what is repeatable? You can say no to yourself. Really, you can. And you can resign your will to His, not yours. And so in a few minutes, we're going to take some time and reflection as the worship team leads us in a song. And I'd like you to, to take that time in reflection and say no to yourself. I can't know what that means for you, but the Lord does. And He'll prompt and move your heart and mind to understand what it is you need to say no to. And in doing so, tell them, not my will, but yours be done. Remember what is plausible. You can do this and you can do it again and again. So also let him remind you what he would like to do through you. Reflect on these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And ask him to work in ways that these are more and more evident in your life. And then he wants you to practice what is proven to be possible. You can do this. You can exhibit this fruit if you will recognize your dependence, you will respond in submission, and then in reality, obedience will become an ever-growing practice in your heart and in your life. I ask the gentlemen to come and the worship team to come as well, and let's reflect in these ways as I've asked this morning.